Numbers 13. Let's do Numbers chapter 13. And a little bit of 14 this morning. I was going to do Numbers 13 and 14, and about Wednesday I, I realized there's no way that I would get that sermon done in less than an hour, maybe hour, ten minutes. So we, we, we're just doing Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, through Numbers 14, verse 10. That's the, that's the text this morning. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read through 14.10. And this is probably a story that is familiar to most of us, but let's listen carefully to this. There's There's a lot of good stuff here for us. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses went, or so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, he, later on Moses is going to rename Hoshea Joshua, um, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Zodi, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Emil, the son of uh, Gemali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vosphi, from the tribe of Gad, Gul, the son of Maki. These were the names, maybe, I don't know, of the men whom whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time... Um, was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. They went into the Negev and came to Hebron. Remember that. They came to Hebron. Ahamin, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Um, and so that doesn't do any of us, most of us, any good. But it is sort of interesting. Um, it is interesting that he mentions Hebron. That is interesting. We'll get back to that in a second. Verse 23, And they came to the valley of Eshkol um, and, and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them. Uh, they also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. 
and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report, which means like a false, misleading report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out, spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the, congreg- all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. I love that line. That's what I titled my sermon. If you care about the title of my sermon, it's, For they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And we will find out next week what the Lord is going to say to the people of Israel. Next week is going to be, um, it's not going to be good news for many of these people. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this, um, these, these verses. Uh, and we thank You that uh, Hebrews and 1 Corinthians tells us that it's for us. It's for our example so that we will have faith in the Gospel so that we will fight against sin so that we will escape temptation so that we will endure. Thank You, God, for this, um, this very vivid story of what happens when, when people decide to leave You out of the equation. This is a hard story to read, but it is so good for us. Help us. Help me, God, to, to believe this story and help me to believe the Gospel. And and I pray that for all of us here. In Christ's name, Amen. Alright, so, here's what happens. Pretty much every time Michigan and Notre Dame play football against each other, almost every time Michigan wins because because Michigan is superior. You can look it up. You can look Wikipedia. Michigan has won most of the time. That's because... They're Michigan, and Notre Dame is just Notre Dame. 
every year. They, all, they almost always play each other at the beginning of the year. All right? Like the second or third game. It's, it's so, so both of them play a couple really easy teams. Right? So they, they're, they're both like 2-0 or 3-0. They're both undefeated. And they're both ranked because people rank Michigan and Notre Dame high even though they, they never deserve it. All right? So Michigan and Notre Dame, they, they, they come together and, and Michigan beats them. And I think, oh man, this means Michigan is going to have a good season. I watch that game and I say, man, we beat Notre Dame. Last year was 45 to 19. That doesn't matter. I'm just saying, last year Michigan won 45 19. They won 45 19. It doesn't, I don't even know why I keep saying it. it doesn't matter. But last year they won 45 19. And, and, um, and I thought, oh man, this means we're going to have a good year. Yeah. I, I, I look at something and then I decide what it means. Now, in order for me to decide what it means, I have to ignore the experts. Because almost every year, the experts tell me, no, Steve, Michigan's bad, Notre Dame's bad, this game means nothing. This is a couple of bad teams. One of them's going to win, but it doesn't matter. After this, they're both going to be average or below average. They're both going to disappoint their gigantic fan bases. This, this game means nothing. Oh, no! This means we're gonna, we're gonna have a good season. Well, it turns out the experts are right every year. We are just, we're bad. We lose to Ohio State. We lose to a couple other teams we shouldn't lose to. We go to some meaningless bowl game. And it's good because I shouldn't be too happy. And so, means nothing. We do this though. Humans are always doing this. We're always looking at something and deciding what it means. We're always doing that. I look out at your faces. I don't look at your faces too closely because I don't want to decide what that, what that look on your face means. Don't we do this, though? We, we, we see someone, we say hi to them, and they sort of like grunt at us. That grunt could mean anything. We usually, means, we usually think it means, oh, they hate me. They're mad at me. They know what I secretly thought about them last week. We are always assigning meaning. Meaning. And this happens in stupid ways, like with sports. Sports don't matter. It doesn't matter what I think a football game means. It doesn't matter at all. But it does matter. It does matter when it comes to the Word of God. And it, because here's what we do. We look at what's happening in our life. We, we look at, and especially we're going to talk about today, because I think this is what Paul and the author of Hebrews would have us apply this, 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 this chapter, these stories from the book of Numbers. Paul and the author of Hebrews would have us to apply them this way. So, so what we do is we look at sinful temptations, Sin that we've struggled with, bitterness or lust or fear or anger or apathy or laziness or unbelief or greed or envy. We look at these, these sins that we have, that we have just struggled with. And, and so often we, we don't use the inside information that we have. The, 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 we have we have we have expert inside information that God has given us. So so what we should do when we think about the way our life is going, when we think about how different things are transpiring in our life, we should say because God's word is true, this means this. I'm going to believe this about what's happening in my life. Maybe it's a temptation or a situation or a trial or whatever it is. I, I'm going to believe this about this happening in my life. 
Because the Word of God is true. But oftentimes we're tempted to kind of go through our life and to figure out what, what everything means and, and we leave the truth of the Word of God to the side. We don't think about the wisdom of God, the, the grace of God, the authority of God, the will of God, the Word of God, the promises of God. We're, we see that in today's passage. In this story today, the, this, these, these children of Israel, they are on the brink of the promised land. They are right there. They are right there. And so they, they put together this, this group of spies. Sort of these leaders from every tribe. One of the younger leaders from each of the tribe. The, one of the younger chiefs from each of the tribe. They're going to go. They're going to go on this 40-day spy trip. This, this mission. And they're going to and they're going to look at the promised land. They're going to get a really good look at the promised land. And they're going to put together a good plan for how to invade and conquer the land. We're going to take this land. Here's how we should do it. This is going to be a morale-boosting trip. This is going to be, a, this is going to be an information-gathering trip. This is going to be good. We've had a little bit of grumbling the last couple of weeks. A little bit of complaining. We've had some issues. This is going to be good for us. This is going to build momentum. So these 12, tri- these 12 spies go in. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, the only ones you've ever heard of, by the way, the only ones anybody else remembers. Obviously, I didn't even know how to pronounce the other ten guys' names. Joshua and Caleb, they look at that land and they're like, this is good. This is good. This is exactly what God said it was going to be. This is amazing. Let's get in there. Let's take it. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. There's some enemies. There's some high city walls. Yep, there's some... We. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But God didn't say, I'll give you the land. God said, I'll give you the land and its inhabitants. We knew, we, we knew there, were, there were people in there. We knew there were going to be enemies. Let's go in there and let's do it. God's going to give it to us. The other ten spies, they see it differently, don't they? They look at the same exact thing. They look at the same exact situation that Joshua and Caleb look at and they see it completely differently. When they look at it, I mean, they look at the same exact thing. When they look at it, they say, no, this means we shouldn't go in. No, 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 no. The, 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 the enemies... The, the, the high city walls, nope, means we shouldn't go in. Why do they respond this way? They, they respond after looking at the exact same land as Joshua and Caleb. They, they, they respond in the exact opposite way. Why? Because they leave out the Word of God. The promises of God. They don't consider the power and authority of God. They leave God out. And now they're giving us a very negative example, but it's also very helpful. Because they're going to show us here three things that happen when we leave God out. That's the three three points to the sermon. And you say, you haven't started your sermon yet? Nope, nope, we're starting it now. All this other stuff was just, you know, I don't know, intro. Just me warming up. Okay, so three things that happen when we leave God out. When we look at the world around us and we forget the power and authority and word and wisdom and spirit and grace of God. 
Number one, first thing that happens, we forget that victory is a gift from God. Number one, when we, when we leave God out, we will forget that victory is a gift from God. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13 say, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Listen to this. Listen to how God describes this land. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. The spies were not to go look at, at a land that they had to conquer all by themselves. This was land that, that God was giving them. This is, this is land that God had been promising to them for 400 years. Verse 22 is so cool that the, that the narrator makes a big deal out of them, of them going up into the Negev and came to Hebron. And they mention Hebron a couple of times. He's making, there's a lot of different spots that he could have mentioned, but he goes out of his way to, to remind them that they saw Hebron when they were there. Hebron is like a landmark. I don't know what what emotions filled these twelve spies when they saw Hebron, but they but they should have they, they should have remembered this is the place where where God said to Abraham this is this is the place where in Genesis chapter seventeen God said to Abraham I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan. This is the, this is the spot where, where Abraham heard that from God. For an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. He says to Abraham, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. This was Abraham who had no one at the time. It was him and his old wife. And God said, I'm gonna make a nation out of you. I'm gonna make a multitude of nations out of you. I, I'm gonna, there's kings are gonna come from you. And I'm going to give you all of this land, God says to him. And Hebron's the only, the only parcel of land that Abraham ever owned is in Hebron. The only, the only little bit of the promised land that Abraham ever owned was in Hebron. And that's where he, that's where he and his family were buried. This is a landmark. I, I, when I visited England a few years ago, I got to go to the church where, where Charles Spurgeon was saved. And nothing magical happened when I went there. I got to go and stand in the church where a couple of my, of my favorite pastors from, from the 1700s, 1800s, 1600s, um, preached. And again, it didn't help me. You know, I didn't come back, oh, I'm a great preacher. No. It just, it, it was nothing magical happened. But it was this wonderful time where I could go and stand there and just remember that for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, God has been doing amazing work. God has been keeping His promises. Jesus is building His church. I don't know what filled these guys when they stood here, but they should have remembered God God promised Abraham a great big family. And look at us! We're a great big family! God's keeping His promise. God promised that He would would be with them. And look, He's brought us out of Egypt! He's delivered us all the way here! He's brought us to the cusp of this land that He has promised He will give us. But then when they come back, ten of the spies, listen to how they describe the land. They go to Moses and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. Not, we came to the land to which God is giving us. They describe it 
very differently than the way God describes it. God says, God says, this is the land I am giving you. They say, we came to the land that you sent us to. You can tell from, their, from the way that they speak, and then as they go on and on and on, you can tell they're leaving God out of this. They've, they've forgotten that God has promised to give them this land. And that the, this is what we have to do as like Christians in the year 2020. We have to remember this as well. The truth is, God has promised us victory. And then not victory over sickness. I mean, we could very well die of some disease. We can, we can suffer from depression. We can suffer from cancer. We can suffer from broken bones. We can, we, we, God hasn't promised us that we will have victory over sickness or, or even victory over poverty. We could lose all of our money in an instant. God hasn't promised that we'll have victory in relationships. We could have people betray us and turn their back on us. But God has promised us victory over sin. This is the point of the, of the passages we're reading through with the book of Romans now. We don't belong to sin anymore. We belong to God. And when, when, Paul, is, when Paul is explaining the book of Numbers to the Corinthian church, when he's saying, here's, what the, here's, here's why the book of Numbers is important for you. Here's why you've got to pay attention to the book of Numbers. He said, he says, these things were written as an example. These things were written down for our instruction. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is, this is why we have these stories here to remind us to remind us that God is with us and God is for us and God is going to give us victory. Now it's, now it's a lot like the children of Israel. They couldn't just kind of, they, kind of they, they couldn't just kind of, you know, wander in and hope for the best. They had to go in and take the land. They had to fight. They had to suit up. They had to get after it. It wasn't going to be easy. Joshua and Caleb, neither one of them said, oh, it'll be easy. Let's just kind of go in there and hope for the best. No, they, it was going to be difficult. This is why they needed like a, a battle plan. But victory was guaranteed. They didn't want it though. How do we look at sin? How do you look at sinful temptation? How do you look at it? Do you you see it as something that God has promised that you can escape? That that you can endure temptation? That you you can get the victory over it by His grace? by, By strength that He is giving you through His Spirit, through His Gospel? Do you believe... Do you, I mean, do you believe when you think about your sin or do you just assume there's no way to win? I've never won that battle before. I'm not going to win it now. When we, when we leave God out, we forget that victory is a gift from God. Now here's the second thing that happens. We feel like grasshoppers. Number two, if we leave God out, we will feel like grasshoppers. 
look, look up at verse 27, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Look at, look at how the ten spies describe the enemies that are in the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are are fortified and very large, which is true. That part is true. Some of those city walls were like 30 feet high. Some of the city walls were like 15 feet wide. There was some, I mean, it was an intimidating looking thing. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So this is no good. Too many enemies. The people of Anak are there. They're big people. This is just, this ain't gonna work. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And again, he's not talking like, this will be easy. We'll go in there and they'll just all roll over for us. But he's saying, we can overcome this. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. And then, so all of the stuff that they've said so far is essentially true. But then in verse 32, they they feel like they really need to drive home their point, so they start exaggerating. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. So this is a false report. This is a misleading report that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. So wait a second. Whoa! Wait, 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 wait. Both those things can't be true. You can't say in one breath the land devours its inhabitants and then there's a bunch of scary inhabitants. Both those things can't be true. If not, that's, 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 we'll talk about this in the next point. That's not great logic. Either the land devours its inhabitants, which means what they're saying there is this is a really hard place to live. You, it's hard to survive there. It's hard to eat there. It's hard to flourish there. That's what they're saying. But then they're also saying there's a whole bunch of people and they're really scary and they're flourishing there. The land... And then, and then we saw... Verse 33. And then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. They're saying the, the, the Nephilim are there. These are, the, these are the, the fierce warriors that roamed the earth before the flood. Hundreds of years earlier, the Nephilim are, the, are those fierce, gigantic warriors. And they don't exist anymore. The sons of Anak are tall people. They're big people. Most likely, the sons of Anak, that's the, that's the crew that, that Goliath eventually comes from. So these are big people. But we're exaggerating here. And then, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. That's the money line. That's the line that we have to, we have to see. We have to, we have to think, this is how they perceive themselves. They've left God out of the picture, and so now they feel like grasshoppers. Grasshoppers in that day were the smallest edible creature. That's a lot of what they would have been known for. We don't, most of us, maybe you do, I don't know, in our house we don't purposefully eat grasshoppers. 
Um, we have kids who have probably tried, and we stop them, hopefully, um, before they do. We are the, what, what they're saying here, we are the lowest on the food chain. We're going to go into that land, and we are going to get devoured. We are going to be like grasshoppers. We're going to be someone's disgusting little snack. That's all we are. We're nothing but grasshoppers. But look, chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, Joshua and Caleb, they have the exact opposite reaction when they look at the enemies. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. It doesn't devour its inhabitants. it's, It's wonderful. You can flourish there. There's plenty. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. So what what, um, Caleb and Joshua are doing here, and we're going to see this next week in in a a lot more detail. They're saying, if you fear these people, if you stay out of the promised land because you fear the inhabitants, then you are rebelling against the Lord. He's, he says, he says, do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They're not going to eat us. We're going to eat them. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. These people, they are bread for us. We're not their snack. They're our snack. And this is how we today, this is how we must continually see sin in our life. Because here's the thing. Either sin is, is slowly destroying you, or you are slowly destroying sin. As a Christian, you have to see the food chain correctly. You have to see who is the grasshopper and who's the one who eats the grasshopper? Because here's the thing. The New, the New Testament is clear on this. If the, if the Holy Spirit, if you believe the Gospel, if you've trusted that Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you've trusted that, that you are forgiven of your sins because Jesus lived a perfect life and He died in your place and He was gloriously and victoriously resurrected, if you believe that... Then, then the Spirit of God lives within you. And the Spirit of God will produce His fruit in our lives. We will become holier. You, you will see more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You will see more and more and more of that. And you will be winning the war against the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are not the ones that will devour us. We will destroy them. We will fight against them. We will destroy them. This is the trajectory that God has us on. He is making us fit for heaven. So slowly but surely, we will be getting rid of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
darkness. We will be pushing that stuff away. It'll be obvious that we are winning the war against these types of works of the flesh. Now, of course, of course, we'll lose the battle sometimes. We'll, we'll lose the, 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 the battle. We will, we, will, we will not show the self-control that we should have shown. We will fall into uh, divisions or envy or fits of anger. We, we will struggle. Every once in a while, we will lose the battle. Absolutely. But it should be clear from the last five years of your life, it should be clear that you are winning the war. If you've been a believer for the last five years, then you should see this trajectory where you are winning the war against the works of the flesh. And, and, and the Spirit is producing more and more and more fruit in you. You are not the grasshopper. You are not the bread. You don't, don't flip the food chain around. See it the way God sees it. And trust me, I know, I know I'm yelling a lot this morning, and I just trust me, I am preaching this to myself just as much as I am preaching it to most of you. Some of you definitely need to hear it more than me, but, but most of you are right there with me. Now honestly, this is, this is as much for me as it is for you. There are so many times when, when a sin that I'm struggling with makes me feel like the grasshopper. When the New Testament says, no, 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 you're looking at it backwards. Stupid Steve. Not the grasshopper. Not a piece of bread. If we belong to Jesus, we are the ones who are slowly defeating and destroying sin. But, if we leave the Word and the authority and the Spirit and the power and the wisdom and the grace and the Gospel of God out of it, if we don't consider that when we're thinking about what's happening in our life, we will feel like the grasshopper. And then number three, we'll stop thinking logically. We'll stop thinking logically. Chapter 14, verse 1, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, listen to this, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And again, we're going to see next week what God thinks of this rebellion. But for now, let's just stop and think how silly this is. I wish we would have died in Egypt. So what they're saying, first off, they're saying 100% chance of death as slaves in Egypt when we were crying out to God for, to deliver us, that's better than the chance of death in the promised land. 100% chance of death in the wilderness is better than a risk in the promised land. It makes no sense. 
And they were there. They're saying, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? So they understand God is the one who has brought them this far. They get that. They were there when God sent down the plagues, when God ushered them through the Red Sea, when God did miracle after miracle in the wilderness. They, they know that God is bringing them, but they think that somehow He's brought them this far and then He's just, He just brought them this far to die. Why would they think that? But before we start to really get after them about this, if we're not careful, we, we do the same thing. So I, I believe that God created the world with just the power of His Word. I believe that. But then, then I doubt the power of that Word so often. My everyday life. I believe that, that God brought us from death to life the power of His Word. That, that my, my, I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. And, and, and God regenerated me. He gave me new life. He gave me new birth. He brought me into His family. I, I believe that. But then I... I struggle to believe that that same God, by that same Gospel grace, with the same, the same strong Spirit, can, can help me fight against temptation this week. So we, we, we believe it. We understand it up to a certain point. And then we're like, nah, I'll just go back to Egypt. Eh. I'll, just, I'll just go back. That seems really hard. I mean, I know God's done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle to get me here. He, he created me. The power of His Word. He sustains me by the power of His Word. He, he brought me to, to life. He's given me His Spirit. All of that stuff is impossible, but that seems even more impossible. That sounds saying He... I, I've done this this year. 2020. I, some of you may not have noticed, 2020 has not been the most fun year. Hasn't been, hasn't been super fun. Hasn't been. I mean, it's been fun in my house because we've been together and we've had lots of fun my house. Lots of fun. Sometimes the fun that we're having in my house, I have to convince my wife that it's fun because she thinks it's terrible chaos. And I know, no, this is fun. You're just confused. She's confused a lot. Maybe it's because everyone's yelling. I don't know. Anyhow, but there have been times this year where I have been um, anxious. I've been fearful. I've been concerned that... Um, because I, I, I believe... I believe that Jesus is going to build His church. I, I believe that He has, he has commissioned us to be disciple-makers. And so with that promise, I mean, with that command comes a promise. He's going to build His church, so go make disciples. And, 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 and the King says to us in Matthew, I am building My church. The King says to us, go make disciples. And the King says to us, I will be with you. We have a hard time, though, with all the different stuff that 2020 has thrown at us. All the different executive orders and limited gatherings and, and all the different stuff. I get concerned. I get worried. Can, can God use us to make disciples 
in the midst of all of this? Can, can God open up someone's heart to believe the Gospel if they're perhaps not in a person in-person service, if they're just watching via Facebook? It, is Jesus still building His church? Is He? Has 2020, has, 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 has 2020, Jesus like, you know what? No, I just, I'm going to wait till, I'm going to wait till next year. I'm just going to wait till this is over. I can't, I just, I can't with you people right now. No. No. If I can, if God can use someone like me to, to accomplish His work, to make disciples, to proclaim His Gospel. If God can use someone like me, you know, when there's, when there's no executive orders around, then He can use me in the midst of, of, of whatever comes next. And the wonderful thing is, if I die tomorrow, and that's not the wonderful part, don't get carried away. I can, I can just hear you. Yeah, that would be kind of nice, actually. No, the wonderful thing is if I die tomorrow, it, next man up. God's, God's going to keep going. Jesus is going to keep building his church. Trust me, we'll know when he's done. Because we're going to see him. We'll know when he's done. I do it, I do it, it, it you know, non-2020 ways as well. I... I, I say, maybe you don't do this. Maybe, maybe I'm just the only one. But I say, I say, I believe that by God's grace, through the gospel of His Son, I believe that one day, God the Father is going to, to reward me for, for faithfulness here on this earth. I, I believe that. I believe that. Really, I'm just commissioned to be faithful in the, in the different realms that He's given me here on earth. That's, that's what I'm called to do, just to be faithful. And one day, by His grace alone, he will, he will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. So I believe that that's true. And I believe that He can get me there. I believe that He can hold me till I get there. He can give me strength. He can, he can show me my sin. He can help me to fight against my sin. He can build humility in me, which is, a, which is an everyday project. He can do that. So I believe that one day, any reward that I could possibly want, I will, have, I will have more. I will have more reward than I could possibly want one day. But yet still, today though, I freak out about my reputation. I freak out about how I am perceived. I, I play these stupid comparison games. Why do we do that? I, I, I say that I believe that God is going to supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. So we believe that. But then we freak out when, when our needs, whether they're perceived or real, are threatened. I believe, and I do, I believe that God will indeed use everything in my life to make me more like His Son. I believe that. For my joy and for His glory. I believe that. And since I do, I should pursue joy and contentment. I should trust in His providence and His wisdom. Church, if we're going to believe the Gospel, then let's believe it. Let's believe it. And so that means that not only 
Did, did Jesus, he, he lived an absolutely perfect life. And, and he, he bled and he died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And he was, he was raised, which means we are going to have eternal life with him. Complete joy forever. It not, only believe, it not only means that, it absolutely does, but it also means that he's given us his spirit. And he, and, he, and he has promised that he is, going to, he is going to make us fit for His kingdom. He's going to change us. He's going to grow us in His grace. That He is going to produce through His Spirit His fruit in us. So if we're going to believe that God has brought us this far, let's, let's, let's believe that God... Is going to that, that God is going to continue this good work in us. That He who started this good work is faithful to complete this good work. Let's believe the gospel from start to finish. You're going to face temptation this week. You're going to you're going to face I don't know which ones. I don't know which ones. You might face temptation towards lust or or towards bitterness or towards envy, or maybe you're going to face temptation towards um, apathy, or you're going to face temptation towards jealousy. When you face those temptations, and, and you will, when you face them, I want you, to, I want you to think about them in light of the fact you have been given inside information. You've been, you have been given the, the, the Word of God. And you've been given the Spirit of God. And you've been, you've been given the grace of God. And you've been given the promise of God. It's going to be a fight. But I, I encourage you, believe the Gospel and fight hard. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the way you work through your word. We, we, um, we are trusting that you will do that this morning. That you will help us to understand. That you will help us to grow in your grace. And help us to remember when we are, when we're deciding, when we're, when we're deciding what, what, what we're looking at. When, we, when you're saying, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at someone who's, I'm looking at something that's going to devour me. Help us not to think that way, God. Help us to see the food chain correctly. Help us to see that you are giving us the victory over sin. It's, it's going to be hard work. We've got to go after it. It's going to be a fight. But it is a, a fight that you are equipping us for, you are strengthening us for, and you're going to give victory in. Help us to believe that, God, and help us to get after it. Help us to think clearly. Help us to think biblically. We are completely dependent upon you for this. We thank you for all of the ways. A lot of them we don't even remember or didn't even recognize. We thank you for all of the ways that you have been gracious to us. Help us to believe the gospel from start to finish. In Christ's name, amen.